All right, well, Nick, um, we're like I said, we're super excited to have you. We're we're ready to dive into all this now. As Russell's joined us here, as uh, we, we got rolling here early, but uh, we got a good thing going, so we're going to keep it going. Um, now, Nick, to to in, to introduce you, kind of to to us in the show here, uh, <laughs> you are not the first uh, ghost hunter adventurer. Uh, you know, dealing in this universe that we've had on this show. Uh, we've been doing what well, this would be episode what, 405? Wow. Seven. 409. So this is be our seventh year doing the show. And to my record, is he the second? He's only the second we've had. I believe, yeah. But the first one was like in episode three. So yeah. there's been quite a gap in our knowledge of what's been happening out there, um, you know, in the ghost world, in the other dimensions. So I know we've got a lot of questions here, um, yeah. but our, my first question is that the ghost first Ghost Hunter we had was not a big movie fan. So, Nick, are you a big movie fan? Is, is oh, we're 100%. primarily a, a movie-based yeah. show. I, let me just put it this way. I was that weird kid about 12 years old. I would ride my little BMX bike down the street to the video store, and I would go scouring for VHS tapes through the horror section, and every day I would try to rent a horror movie. Now, I was 12. Back then, the clerk would say, hey, does your mom know you're renting Dr. Giggles, that horror film? And I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> she's right over there. And I would lie. It would be some random lady. And he'd, be, he'd look over and he's like, okay, I guess I convinced him. So he gave me the tape until my mom yelled at me when I was watching it. <laughs> she walked in watching Dr. Giggles, uh, you know, tear people up and stuff like that. Um, back in, what was that, the 1992 or something like that, 80s, 90s, I grew up in. So I was a huge horror fanatic. I've seen pretty much every horror movie I can get my hands on. Um, I love film noir. I love, um, I don't know, I go through these weird, weird transitions in my life. Like I, it, it's just, it's funny, you know, um, when you go through like kind of trends in your life, you go through horror, then you go through the slasher films, then you go through the psychological thrillers, then you go through like the David Fincher films. And then I was a Tarantino person for a second. And I started learning Tarantino's ripping off a lot of movies and putting them in his own movies. The great script writer, but then it was just, it's just interesting watching like Reservoir Dogs and then learning City on Fire, supposedly. And then watching, you know, all these films kind of translate. Um, so it's been a part of my life since very early. I, I've always wanted to do something in film at an early age. Um, but I was really fascinated in UFOs, aliens, extraterrestrials. I remember watching Fire in the Sky, you know, and one day I was like, I want to meet Travis uh, Walton. I want to I want to um, talk to him about his experience, you know, based on the film and the book and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm a huge, huge uh, film fanatic. Man, that that's interesting. Uh, the, the last guy we had on Jim, our buddy Jim from out here, episode two, I believe we were in a library. It was a very different show. Uh, he, he really expressed distancing himself from horror films because he didn't want people to think that he, one, he didn't want to emulate the aesthetic mm -hmm. because he thought it would hurt the research. And two, he didn't want people to think that he was just trying to kind of like cash in on, I don't know, genre film. Yeah. It's weird. But from what I know, your career has kind of been heralded as a reimagining of ghost hunting and really it's the aesthetic that people have praised you for. And, yeah. and I, I do really like it. And I honestly, I think you might be responsible for travel channel turning into like the ghost channel. A hundred percent. I am. <laughs> <And> I, <know, laughs> I, I definitely am. Um, 
you know, I knew I knew the guy who was positioned at Travel Channel, um, and I cut together. So basically, to back up, I created a documentary called Ghost Adventures, and I started it in 2004. And how it goes is, I went to UNLV College, uh, University of Nevada, Las Vegas, for Running Rebels. Yeah, and I graduated <laughs> there, um, and I made my first film when I was 24 years old called Malevolence. And then after that, I got uh, selected at the Cine Vegas Film Festival. I shot it on my, like, uh, what was it, a Panasonic 100A. Remember those cinematic little cameras that came out? It was, like, cool because it shot in 24 frames. I was, like, one of those first digital groundbreaking people that my professor, like, wow, this is amazing. How do you do this on, like, a shoestring budget? I shot it for, like, $5,000. I think I, like, blew up a car in my film. It was, like, a Pulp Fiction mashup, kind of craziness, you know, bad guys win, everyone dies <laughs> kind of film. And I uh, got selected when Dennis Hopper was still alive. So I got to go to Cine Vegas Film Festival in 2004 where my, uh, my film played. Not a lot of people know that. And what was cool about it, because I'm a film geek, I got to meet uh, David Lynch was there. They were screening Eraserhead on the big screen and with I Dennis know. Hopper talking about it. And I remember being in the audience listening to them. And we had to leave early because they were going way over in time. And I was like, man, I got to go watch Mike Takahashi's film that just came out called Gozu. So no, I, I like stood up with my cousin and we were walking on. David Lynch is like, huh, are we inter are we are we boring you? Is what he said out loud in front. And I just kind of froze, like <laughs> walking in the audience. But it's Mike Takahashi next door, you know? It was a big uh, thing. So I remember seeing that and then my film screen next to Napoleon Dynamite when no one knew what Napoleon Dynamite was. So that's kind of like um kind of like my kickoff, I guess, of like I knew what I wanted to do, but um, it was still, it's a struggle. Like no one knew me, no one could care less, you know, uh, back then it's like, you either have to have an agent, entertainment lawyer, blah, 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 all that stuff. And I, I've just like, a, I was a, always a go-getter. If I wanted to make something or do something, I would just go out and do it rather than sit around and talk about it or like think about what's the next script or something like that. So it wasn't until, um, uh, later on after that, I, you know, nothing came of that film. I got it someone offered me something for like Warner or what was it Lionsgate or something like that for crap money or something they just wanted to take it <laughs> something stupid yeah. so I just shelved it and I didn't feel like it was my best work so you know one of those things um but not until I saw a, a film actually it was a documentary called Sightings on um remember that show Sightings oh yeah and it was on the Sally House um and that was an episode I watched and I was watching these news reporters go in and I was in my little apartment, broke out of college. No one would hire me, <laughs> you know, one of those kids. And uh, I was overqualified because I had high honors in film. So no <laughs> production company wanted to pick me up. I was just, you know, PAing around, going, jumping around, doing wedding videos, stuff like that uh, to make money. And, um, and I remember um, watching this and these news reporters are filming this guy without any edits or cuts or anything and watching the guy get scratched on camera, you know? And I was like, holy crap, how is this being done? And I want to know, I like legitimately want to know because I've always believed in the paranormal. Like I grew up in a supernatural kind of element of, of a home where it was talk of extraterrestrial space, time, aliens, deep thought. Uh, and then it shifted into like ghosts, uh, abduction cases. And I would always hear about these stories from my grandmother and parents and people. And I had a near-death experience when I was eight years old, too. I ripped open my arm right here, uh, almost died, and uh, had a weird, profound experience of seeing all these faces hover around me and then um, brought back to life. My mom saved my life, um, and they repaired my arm. And Who were anyway, the faces? Crazy story. What's that? Who were the faces? 
I, I don't remember. I just remember laying down and, uh, well, first off, I was climbing a tree outside. I fell off the tree, hit a cyclone fence, ripped open my whole arm, oh. shredded to the bone. And I remember, you know, if anyone's ever gone into shock, your body doesn't feel it. But I just yeah. remember being light. And I remember like, <laughs> the best way I describe it, it's funny now thinking about I'm older because <laughs> I was just a stupid hyperactive kid. And the funny analogy I got is, um, uh, what was it? Um, remember what was it? Um, old school where Will Ferrell shoots himself with the the horse tranquilizer dart yeah. in the throat. He's like, oh, like I love you, man. It felt like that. <laughs> and I got up and I'm like, Mom, I love you. And I just collapsed on the ground and I got back up. <laughs> it was just like that. I got back up and I'm like, Mom, and I just collapsed. And I remember blacking out. Um, basically, what I told my mom after is, I remember, like not opening my eyes, but just seeing all these faces hovering around me, like um, older people. I didn't recognize anybody. Um, I don't know if it was like great uncles or great grandparents or somebody that has passed on. Cause I tried to describe it to my mom, like when I was later in my thirties and stuff, when I started doing a ton of like ghost stuff. And she's like, I was the only person there who picked you up. It was like that mother's superhero moment where she ripped off her shirt, tied up my arm, Cause she's like, it the bone was hanging out. She's like, I picked you up and I brought you inside back then it was pay phones, no cell phones. So this is, uh, 1988. And she's like, I'm calling uh, the ambulance. And there was only one other lady in there trying to help. And I said, no, there was tons of people surrounding, looking down at me. So that was my experience. I'll never forget vividly because then I just saw the faces like kind of moving towards me. And then all of a sudden, they just kind of went away. And I just remember like waking up for a second. I'm in an ambulance and they're like doing something. And then I blacked out again. I woke up and I was in the hospital with my arm being tugged on. And I just opened my eyes and my sister's crying with my dad in front of me. So it was just crazy. Um, I was a competitive swimmer. So <laughs> a couple of months later, um, they put me back in the water. And that's actually what really saved my arm and everything is the, um, uh, the therapy was swimming because I was a competitive swimmer with my sister. And I went on to break the 50 free uh, um, freestyle in America from eight <laughs> after that, from nine years old to 13, I stopped swimming. Um, but that's kind of how my, I, I don't know if it put me on this kind of weird quest of the paranormal, but I always look back on that because I was just a stupid, crazy, adventurous kid, you know, like making fours, playing outside, uh, wandering, looking at the stars and just hearing stories about Area 51. I got introduced to that when I was like 13, 14 years old. Um, I is that is that how you broke your arm? Because it, you said you were climbing a tree next to a cyclone fence. Yeah. So it sounds to me you were breaking in or out of something. <laughs> no, I was just I was just stupid. Honestly, is the best way to put it. Uh, no, we were outside of a YMCA. I was waiting for my sister to get out of swimming, and uh, I got done before she did. And my mom was reading her book, and I drifted away and saw a tree. I had to climb. And I climbed it and it's like one of those old like spike ones that were just up there. And I went to swing off and the branch broke and I just sliced it when I fell down. Was that it. the last, was that the last tree that you climbed? No. Uh, My man. My I was man. around 10 years old and, and we lived on a cul-de-sac in Salem, New Hampshire. And I remember going in the woods and my mom would kick me out of the house all day. We didn't have TVs or anything or games to play back then. Uh, we had the VHS store. I'd be lucky to get some money and get a VHS tape, but I would play in the woods and I, I built another swing and I went from like a 15 foot rock swinging out and the branch broke. I'm so, I don't calculate my body weight. Obviously I'm bad at physics. <laughs> so, 
I came crashing down and uh, hit the back of my head. Um, and I had a, like, I woke up in the woods um, and I crawled down and I had blood and my mom had to take me and get three stitches in the back of my head. You know? so Did you ever crazy. think about a career as a stuntman? I, I've thought about stuff like that, yeah. Um, mm. My grandmother used to visit me. I used to uh, skateboard off the top of my shed in the back. So I was doing like jackass stuff before jackass, you know, stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's kind of, you know, a crazy past thinking back on it. And then later about 13, 14, I was introduced into area 51 by my sister's godparents who lived in Nevada. And I was looking at UNLV for the future. And, uh, they were telling me that, um, my sister's godfather helped build the bunkers at area 51. And he would talk about them before he passed away. And they would be little kids sitting on the roofs, watching the atomic bomb go off. The mushroom crown be, uh, being tested at um, the, the Nellis Air Force Base, or whatever out there, uh, the testing site. So um, I just wanted to go to Area 51 someday. So I started rolling out a map, looking for it. My dad be like, "What the hell are you doing? I'm trying to locate on maps that you would unfold and stuff." Back then, 1994, where's Area 51? Um, and then I went to UNLV, and uh, years later, I got to start traveling. I went up to the town of Rachel, Tonopah, Goldfield, all the haunted Mayan towns in Virginia City, Nevada. And that's how I learned about, I was just like, man, I would love to document this. I really wanted to know if ghosts existed, you know, just based on that kind of like my, I guess my past. I used to go to a bunch of haunted locations when I was in high school. My buddies would run away if they heard a creak and I'd be standing there looking inside these <laughs> buildings and stuff like that. Um, so it's just a crazy, if you think back on the journey, it's just crazy to think how I got to this point. It's almost like it was destined to happen regardless if I wanted to do it or not, you know, in a sense. Yeah. And I really believe in that. I think that um, the kind of future is kind of paved, but you fall off the path a little bit here and there, but you're always on this journey regardless of where you're going for some purpose. And then that's when I, I created Ghost Adventures. It was simple as seeing that documentary that sightings episode of the sally house and i met these two other guys in las vegas one snuck into my unlv college class aaron and then the other one i met who's a wedding dj because i was shooting wedding videos and i called them up one night i said you guys want to go look for ghosts <laughs> and that's basically how it <laughs> happened and i'm like man i got this camera gear that i bought and i i know how to push the red button on the camera you know so why don't we just document whatever it was all mini db tapes and that's what we did uh for months um we just took a trip up to Virginia city and we just started documenting everything. We we're just shooting like everything. We didn't really know what we we're doing. I actually didn't know what a documentary was back then in 2004. Like I didn't know how to put a narrative together in a sense. I just came from, you know, that film degree and like, Oh, here's this, but nothing was scripted. Like we didn't have a script. We didn't do anything. It wasn't like that. It wasn't even like supposed to be a movie. It was just let's document ghosts. Let's document what is a ghost or I don't know. I was a naive 24 year old kid, not really kind of knowing, just intrigued by the concept and the ideas of that and getting involved in the paranormal and supernatural and just really interested in, I wanted to see a ghost. <laughs> and that's how it kind of kicked off. And then months later, I uh, documented some weird stuff that I had no clue until I would watch some of the raw footage on my mini DVD tapes. And I had like five external hard drives, my computer that I built. And I just started like putting it together based on like little evidence clips, like a figure that we captured and some other weird stuff. Another dude talked a lot. So I was like, oh, all right, I'll, he can talk more. <laughs> I can feel more and I'll structure this into a story of our kind of journey. I'm like, why don't we call this an adventure, like ghost adventures? And that's how I created it. And 
it became what it was. And who knew it would be something? It landed on Sci-Fi in 2007, and it hit like 1.4 million viewers on cable on a Friday night, which was insane. Uh, just a little documentary that, you know, we got a little bit of um, money for, and that turned around, got picked up on Trial Channel in 2008, and then from there, it just it just blew up. And there was like eight episodes in 2008 for cable as a script as a series, you know, like one of those um, reality shows. I had to restructure and try to figure that out. So I edited the season one and I would shoot everything. I was like that kind of guru filmmaker would lug in my camera, lug in my stuff, being on camera, editing. Um, I would edit like the 24 minutes of the 44 minutes for cable. And I didn't even know what I was doing. <laughs> I had to learn Final Cut <laughs> to edit it. And um, so season one is of, of Ghost Ventures is really raw and gritty. And I loved it because it was three dudes, you know, of different kind of personalities like Scooby-Doo-ish. They were locked down from dusk till dawn, like legitimately. And what you see is what you get. No big camera crews. And that was kind of the, the basic concept. And it really just hit. Um, and then after that, it took off. And then years later, um, I kind of broke from that in 2014. 2014, I stopped doing that after like 100 and something episodes. And I created Colonel Lockdown, which I feel like was the next step up. And I was trying to revolutionize and like, um, I just wanted to evolve my brand. I felt like really redundant and a lot of like clashing in between of that, like GA stuff. And I just wanted to um, um, do something different that's going to be like more epic on a different scale. So I started staying and, and sleeping at the locations for three days straight, 72 hours. I would stay there. It was brutal, mentally and physically brutal. Um, and then now I created Death Walker, which then... 40 episodes in the making and now we're making 20 more episodes. Now, did you ever think about pivoting that 72 hour thing into some sort of, you know, lucrative Airbnb situation? Yeah, <laughs> seriously, I uh, have. Um, I actually, the way I pitched it <laughs> back in the day, and this is crazy because the way I actually pitched the concept was how would I stay there for a hundred hours? I actually know it was not a hundred hours. It was a whole month. That's how I originally pitched it was the whole month, I'll stay at a location and then we'll see what happens. But I really wanted to bring in like engineers and physicists and like, you know, people that are like like-minded enthusiasts and stuff like that. And then it turned into 72 because I learned that back then, 2014, they just came out with these red cameras and we were the first ones to take the red sensor on the camera and change it so we could see not just infrared, but in full spectrum. So the military and us were the only ones doing that at the time, which was pretty radical. It was amazing. And we were capturing a lot of cool stuff. Um, and we had like eight terabytes of footage that we had to consume. So like the turnaround time, and in, in when you're cutting for like cable, like editing wise, it's like such a fast turnaround time. You got like four to eight weeks to show like rough cut because it goes through transitions to like executives and so on and so on to like yeah. see it. I don't think everybody really understands the business like structure of everything and how many things kind of like rotate. It's kind of like you just watch on TV, like, Oh, you like it or you don't. <laughs> it's kind of perception, you know? Sure. Um, and it's crazy from like four to five years from then to now, how fast and rapidly everything has changed. So I just adapted about three years ago. I knew it was coming into the streaming and cable was kind of um, being put on the back burner. So now it's like instant. Everything has to be instant. It has to be fast. It has to be like quicker. But I want to go back to um, staying true, true to like, um, because I've been very humbled on my journey and I want to stay true to like 
the elements of a real paranormal investigation. Um, so that's kind of why I drove it back to Death Walker, which is two people, um, and it's just kind of raw, gritty, but the quality is still there as far as the narrative and the story and stuff and everything kind of cut in between. But I want to be, I don't know, back to the roots and trying to like rethink the theories or, or kind of be outside the box. And really Death Walker is all about creating conversations with anybody that's watching it. You know, you don't have to believe, you don't have to like, I'm not trying to prove something, anything like that. It can be skeptical or not. It could be logical. It could be a belief. It doesn't really make a difference to me. All it's doing is creating conversations of what is next, you know, or what is out there, or what is this theory? Is it based on time? Is it based on space? Are we meshing the dimensions or realities or alternate realities? And I really, I'm a big thinker on consciousness. Where's the consciousness and the brain go with all the information we fill it with through our own life that we're walking, you know? And where's the energy go? Energy can't be destroyed. So what happens with that lingering positive or negative energy? So really, that's what Death Walker is, just walking amongst the dead, <laughs> one person. Damn, that's a hell of a career. Now, I, I want to give you a little bit of insight on like where we jump in there. And my experience with like paranormal TV shows. So my mom is a uh, firm believer. She also claims to be a witch. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for outing you, mom. But last time she was staying here a couple of days and there was a storm. And before she left, she said, hey, don't dump out that we have a candle holder outside that collected a lot of water. And she's like, that's a powerful spell component. Can you bottle some of that for me? And I'm just like, my God. So I've kind of grown up complete. You know, you want to rebel against your parents. Yeah. But she was a horror fan. And I took that on. And for the record, on this show, Nick, he had a segment <laughs> uh, referring to uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky's Psycho Magic. Yeah. So <laughs> where he read uh, Psycho Magic uh, in completion and then uh, derived his segment. Actually, as a. As a film fan and a paranormal fan, I think that book might be right up your alley because yeah. psychomagic is all about um, spells and kind of the ritual. Like, say you really want somebody to love you and you're going to do this love potion. Well, his argument is that, you know, a wizard back in the day, be it Merlin or some uh, black arts dude living in a cave, would give you this very difficult ritual that would kind of test the... Uh, the limits you would go to to get this person's admiration. And he's making an argument that it's really just a uh, thing we do with our mind. Right. It's like, it's super interesting, but to get, to get back to where we end up talking to you on this show. Um, so we also program a film festival and it's all found footage. So we do everything in the style of Blair Witch and it, we call it in world camera. And it, the parallel with ghost hunting is, it's imbued they're entangled and um from the beginning i mean i remember watching the documentary ghost adventures and thinking man this is different because at the time i remember taps was out yep. uh which was like the original ghost hunting show and they were these plumbers who would go out and it was like you know their hobby to go look for ghosts and it was woefully real and you're just like, dude, these guys never find anything. They usually end the show bummed out. <laughs> and it's like, you could tell they're spending their own money. And it was just, it felt real. But as like a horror fan, you're like, dude, I mean, give me something. You want to pay off. Yeah. And <laughs> Ghost Adventures, like clearly now I understand that you, you watch film and you had an aesthetic. <laughs> and it really felt like uh, part of the thing was like the mise-en-scene of what you were doing was you drove out to a remote area and you were alone. 
mm-hmm. but it didn't feel like, you know, the Taps dudes had a van, which well, made yeah. it feel kind of like we're prepared where you guys felt like, Hey, these three friends went out to Nevada and they're just looking around. And the whole time as like a horror fan. It feels like you're like poking a grave or something. Yeah. It's like, Hey, nothing's really happening right now, but like, you know, maybe you should leave before it does start. And dude, pulling it up on IMDb right now, you're sitting at 7.7 7 with that. Am ghost I? Oh, yeah. I haven't even looked. <laughs> nice. I mean, you know, IMDb is where like the trolls live. Yeah. And they I know, love I to tear the shit down. Yeah. But I bring that up because, man, that's a hard thing to do. That's a that's a perfect movie by IMDb standards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I think you change the culture completely where, um, you know, the vibe of you guys being buddies really comes through. And also it feels like you guys are being playful. And I remember thinking, have you ever seen the movie Grave Encounters? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's very similar. Yeah. I feel like they took from from GA in a sense. Well, I feel like Grave Encounters was made by fans of Ghost Adventures who yeah. were like, now what if they really found something? Like, <laughs> I remember getting together with friends and uh, trying to find the exact episode they were trying to like parody or like comment on. And I could never tell if it was like a mean thing they were trying to do or if it was like a love, like an homage. Yeah, you know? I think it was an homage. Yeah, I, I didn't even take it. I don't really take anything as like, um, you know, at face value or anything like that. I think, um, I think it was flattering more so of doing something that's in more of like a film, you know, found footage type style. Um, obviously their stuff was scripted in a sense. I, I think they were trying to pull from, I remember editing, um, it was called New, New Jersey Mental Asylum season one. And I get locked inside a morgue um, in that episode for over an hour. That was freaky. And they might have been pulling stuff from like that because I think they're, I haven't seen it in a long time. So mark me if I'm wrong, but it's like an asylum or something that they're in, right? Or something like that. And they run through think, the tunnels and oh, the walls. It's very similar. Yes. Yep. They go to an abandoned like hospital and then it yeah. spirals out from there. Yeah. It, it was cool. I mean, there's so many films like that that I find uh, fascinating. Um, yeah, it's like weird when the whole found footage thing came out because of Blair Witch and stuff like that. And there was like a influx of found footage. Everyone had yeah. found footage all of a sudden, you know, like paranormal activity and stuff like that. And they just figured out how to do it inexpensive and then make, you know, tons of money off of it for their, um, their movies and stuff like that. That was what was really cool about it. Well, Nick, but, you know, it's interesting because as a found footage fan in that time, you're right. We like the shit was flooding everywhere yeah. and the horror community really, uh, they revolted against it. They said, you know, horror films are being degraded into like a money grab, mm-hmm. which to me, I thought it was a completely different way to like craft a narrative where your characters are the ones filming. Like, so every edit in your movie is kind of reflecting the feeling of characters or the camera movements. Yeah. And as a, as a fan, I remember looking for more like this and finding ghost adventures. <laughs> Because there's a lot, there's a lot in common with paranormal hunting. Like you turn off the the lights and you use directional lighting on a camera, which man, the shadow play is fantastic. Like just moving through. Also, we know everybody in the crew and you guys are filming. Right. So like any technical problems, man, it's right there hand in hand. And, um, you know, I think Grave Encounters kind of caught on because that was like an early Netflix movie. Yeah. Because it kind of, it was poking the craft. Where, I mean, early on, they, they catch a guy outside and they interview him. And he's like a janitor. And he's like, dude, nothing happens here. And then they pay him some money and then he'll come back and he's like, oh, I saw a ghost yesterday. Yeah. And, you know, and <laughs> yeah. there's, there's a moment in the show 
where some somebody gets pushed and they're like, let's get the fuck out of here. And uh, the character who has to be a parody of Zach is yeah. just like, well, what if, I mean, isn't this what we're trying to do? And I remember as a fan thinking that's where they got it wrong because I never thought like if um, some, if like a poltergeist said, like, I don't know, physically started like beating the shit out of you guys in like a brutal way. Yeah. I never saw him as the one stepping up to be like, no, dude, we have to stand our ground. Yeah. No, he's, like, always, no, he's, he's always the first to run, to be honest with you. <laughs> you can watch other doc. I was the one that was actually sitting alone. Uh, I think I started that one of the first episodes we did was Moundsville Penitentiary. And I was like, you know what? Let me go by myself and just sit down what they call the sugar shack. And the sugar shack is where a lot of guys were murdered and killed and brutal things happened. It was the bowels of the prison basement. And I remember just sitting alone in there. It was scary as hell. When you isolate yourself and you're alone, just your camera and you, and you can't see anything around you, but you're hearing things like chairs move or weird footsteps or weird sounds, or maybe you feel a touch on your shoulder or whatever. Um, yeah, it's freaky. I don't care who you are, how tough you are. Everyone's going to jump in the dark if something comes out at you. Um, and it takes a lot to scare me. I mean, I've been in hundreds of haunted, sinister, crazy locations with like rife in history. Uh, that are just brutal. And um, I still get nervous, surprisingly. But it, it's, it is like a real horror movie, if you think about it, because it's one thing to watch it from the comfort of your home. It's another thing to experience it firsthand and oh, just yeah. like walk through the location. It's one thing to walk during the location. I mean, things happen all the time. Kind of say paranormal is all around us in a sense. But you're walking in a location, but you're in there at night or day or whatever it is. Obviously, the environmental elements can be freaky. So there's a whole psychology behind it. You know, you can be scared just by walking in a mental asylum and not, not, nothing's happening, but it's just the fear of something happening. And I think a lot of us fear the unknown because we don't truly know what it is that we're dealing with. And I think that's kind of the cool thing with horror movies is because there's something for everybody's fear, you know? Um, there's a movie out there for pretty much everyone. If you hate clowns, there's all sorts of clown horror movies out there. There's it. There's um, all sorts of crazy films based on clowns. Huh? Uh, what was that? What was that new one that just came out? It's really brutal. Terrifier. Um, Terrifier. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's the second one that came out. I haven't watched it, but my cousin was showing me clips of it, which is pretty, pretty wild. <laughs> um, then there's, you know, there's stuff like. Um, I've been to locations where brutal things have happened, just like the movie Hot Detention, you know, uh, which is an American version. It's high voltage, which I hate because they they censored it and they edited the crap out of it. Um, so if you're ever going to watch it, watch Hot Detention, the, the French version. <laughs> what um, about snakes on a plane? That's oh too fierce. There's snakes on a plane. I mean, I've been in locations that I've slept at for three days where I've had, I didn't even know, uh, massive wolf spiders oh, you know, no. climbing. I'll be in my sleeping bag by myself. No camera crew, nobody there, just me isolated alone in an abandoned, decrepit location. Wolf spiders on the wall. I was sleeping in Waverly Hills uh, Sanitarium, and I was in the uh, what they call the body chute, where all the bodies were dropped down. It was a 45. Have you guys seen that, Waverly Hills? No. There's a body chute. It's literally like this, like 45, where they Ooh. would just drop the bodies down and would go to a hearse and take them to cemetery. It's a big, yeah. long tunnel off of the asylum where it was a tuberculosis asylum and um how much speed were those bodies picking up (laughs) pretty fast i remember just putting uh, my bed down there it was like a cot that i would i would unfold and i would sandbag it and i was so scared to get on it because i thought i was gonna fall and slide down and all these wolf spiders around we had to kill and (laughs) 
um, a family of raccoons would just walk by me when I was sleeping, you know, and I had no clue that this, all these like buggy eyed raccoons were walking by me in the dark. Yeah. You know, like I didn't think they were hurting me, but I was alone, but I, I saw the raw footage after I'm like, Holy crap. If that raccoon would have got in my sleeping bag, I would have been freaking out snakes. How much sleeping are you getting done in the night? Not a lot. So I actually, I actually monitored myself. It's so funny you mentioned that. Uh, I did a location in England in Pontefract. It's called called the Black Monk House, and it has insane history, um, brutal massacre wars. Um, this monk supposedly did horrible things in this murder that took place. So I stayed in this small little house that's very historic in England, and basically, um, I, I lived there for a hundred hours, five days straight. Uh, anyone living in a house for five days, like, you know, going through 2020 again, where you can't leave the home, it sucks. Yeah. So, but I remember like waking up, I was sleeping on one of the couches in uh, the house. It's abandoned. They just kind of rent it out and because it's haunted. And I remember waking up and like the doors opening in the darkness, it would freak me out. Um, but I monitored myself for those five days with one of those Fit Bands and it had a whole data log on my computer. And I realized that I was only getting, I think, three hours of conscious sleep, which is not real sleep. And then I would get uh, 30 minutes of REM sleep. So 30 minutes of actual solid Damn. sleep within a construction constructive of like three days off and on. So it would be like three hours of conscious because I would just keep going and going and going, filming all the time, all around the hours to try to document. And uh, it's really difficult to sleep in locations like that because there's like a weird mental thing with, um, I kind of flush out like the stories that I heard from eyewitnesses and what I know at the location. And I kind of go into just experience whatever's going to happen to document. I mean, that's why I'm there. You know, I'm not going to run away and stuff like that. Um, so I, I can't run away cause I'm in these locations and <laughs> I'd be stupid because then what am I doing? Uh, so, but it does get uneasy. Like I hate the negative energy when, when you feel that negative energy it just gets under your skin. Um, the best way I can describe it is like, if you ever had any like negative people in your life, like you've been around like, oh, this person walks in, you're like, man, that person feels really negative. <laughs> like, yeah. that's what it feels like, but you can't see them, you know, but you just know, oh, is this the killer that killed here? Or is this the person that died here? You know what I mean? So, so but Nick, you have built an entire life around that energy, though. <laughs> I know, I know, <laughs> I know. That's why, that's why when I get home, I take like eight showers and just <laughs> rinse it off. <laughs> it's uh it's it's a mind over body thing it's really oh, strange um now can i ask a like ethics question yeah <laughs> like like when you're staying at a place for five days uh, so one of the, one of my are crit- you getting doordash in how does that work <laughs> one, one of my critiques oh damn <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> one, one of my critiques of um a lot of paranormal investigators is that they're hyper serious about everything yeah so i imagine that when people are doing prolonged stays that they're always on too. So that it's like five days straight of working. Like, I don't imagine you bring in a book or like, <laughs> I don't, I don't, like a switch <laughs> or something. Yeah. Like you're yeah. playing games on break time. No, I, I don't. I, I'm alert and I'm aware and you're kind of like in the surroundings, but you get, I think there's an in heightened um, hyperness before you're as you're stepping foot into the location right because you have all this energy and you're like all right here we go oh my gosh and then after like six hours you're like shit yeah (laughs) 
you're just sitting there. And sometimes it's like watching paint dry on the wall. Like nothing's happening. You're just kind of there, you know, and just like, it's weird. I've been in castles, like medieval castles, like really what they call haunted locations, right? With all this crazy medieval history and stuff. And I remember sitting up in this window in this castle and overlooked on top of a hill. I forget what, um, where I was. It was in the United Kingdom somewhere. Uh, 10th century or whatever and i'm looking out the window on the top floor i'm by myself it's the morning the mist is rolling in it's sun is up and i went it's like my second or third day there and i haven't left and i'm in my same clothes going through the same process i uh, had some weird stuff some voices captured you know stuff like phenomena stuff that you're just trying to figure out um and i'm looking out the window and i used to do this a lot eventually after i kept going and going to location location and I would see all these other cars in the distance driving on the roads or going by or people walking by at places like, you know, in more urban areas. And I would say, how strange is my life right now? Like all <laughs> these people are going to work and all these people are going through their day to day, you know, operations or whatever they have in their life or whatever their perception is on things. And here I am in a location looking for ghosts and weird stuff. <laughs> and I'm I'm just like, everything becomes not a reality. It's so strange because you start floating. And, and I'm not saying to a state of hallucination, but in a state of alternate reality where your mm -hmm. brain starts, starts operating at looking at things differently. You start looking at life differently. You look at death differently. You look at um, just, just everything so different. And it's almost like a matrix, you know, like you're, you're in the matrix, but for a second, I'm outside the matrix like like looking in peeking in to the world that's that's created or that's happening in some weird program and that's what i started perceiving um things as as i was be like um drained of of my energy and stuff so that's what i kind of took from it and i thought i thought that was really fascinating and again you know the whole psychology with like the longer you stay at locations you become a part of the environment you become a part of what it is the stories the history um the overlapping layers of just like stuff that has been energized there in a sense. So I kind of, I kind of look at that. I think I'm more of a deep thinker. So yeah, we don't bring books in or I don't, I'm not playing arcades. I'm thinking in weird, I guess my own self, seeing myself in a different world. <laughs> it's strange. Well, th that's how I've always uh, defended. Okay. So one of the, one of the critiques of like uh, being an investigator would be like, why do they always do it at night? Why are the yeah. lights always off? And I'm like, well, if you want to think about it in a, like objectively, when it's dark, what happens? You become hyper aware. Yeah. So if you're there looking for stuff, I mean, honestly, at night with the lights off, I feel like you're more in tuned with your surroundings. So you're more, yeah, you're just heightened everything. So, yeah, but surprisingly, like a lot, of, and that's why I did uh, the other two shows differently. That's why I do Death Walker differently. I do it during the day and at night. I do it. I do it 24 seven around the clock. I don't just go in at night and then, Oh, at night it's we're than a captured ghost Ooh, now. Cause it's nighttime. Yeah. It doesn't a ghostly like brunch. That. Yeah, exactly. But if you actually look at the uh, statistics in the world with people's experiences, 70% of people having paranormal experiences are actually during the day. Surprisingly, not at night. 30% is more at the night because people go to sleep and they're unaware. Um, yeah. and, but but the cool thing about why I want to sleep at locations or be there because you're vulnerable, but I'm aware, I know what I'm doing. I'm going in because I want to experience, I want to document hauntings and I've heard the stories and I'm picking locations that are supposedly haunted. 
uh, for that reason. So I'm vulnerable. I'm opening myself up to like my most vulnerable part where I'm I'm there sleeping. You know, what's going to happen when I'm sleeping? I always have a running joke, like until something rips me out of my sleeping bag, <laughs> drags me down the hall, like that film. Yeah. Uh, then maybe, you know, I'll start questioning what the hell I'm doing. But until then, I've I've had things touch me. I've had physical, like I've had a scratch up on my back, which I've never happened. I had that once happen uh, recently. I've had, um, I've seen stuff. I've seen shadow figures. I've heard all sorts of voices. Um, I've had equipment validating my experience. Like I'll leave a recorder leaving um, or running while I'm sleeping. And then I'll wake up sometimes forgetting that it's still running and then I'll play it back. And there's like conversations of people talking on it. I have even had a dog like walk up, like you can hear the footprints walk up and then just start growling into the recorder and, and then like walk away. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? And it, it happened to me at a solitary confinement in a prison. And I had, I was like, why the hell would a dog be on the recorder? And then I asked the guy who worked there for 18 plus years, who was the, um, one of the supervising police officers there. He's like, no, that there's a real story. And I had no clue about this story. It wasn't even listed. I didn't even know. But on the recorder, I had to show the guy because I was so confused. I'm like, these are where death row inmates were kept. Why is there a dog on my recorder? And he said <laughs> that a sergeant had a dog that used to patrol right there uh, back in the 1800s or something like that, he said. And the dog would walk around the whole place and he would patrol. And then the dog actually died there. So I thought that was that was really Ooh. cool. And it's stuff like that when you don't know the stories, but then something like that concrete validates, uh, you know, a story that you hear, and then you might not know it going in, but it then you find out later. I think that's really cool. Um, it just lends more because I'm super logical thinker, but I I also am very spiritual and I'm very open to the concepts of everything because I want to experience stuff, you know, from. I have great friends that are uh, Wiccans and Witchens and Pagans. I've done every ritual you can think of from voodoo to hoodoo. To, <laughs> I have friends across all the boards um, from Catholic, Christian, Satanic. I mean, you name it. I mean, I'm pretty much friends across the board with everybody. And I find it all very fascinating, you know, because we're all human at the end of the day. There's no one thing. Um, and we try to box up everything so badly, which I find interesting with human beings <laughs> we don't want to evolve we just want to be like this is it or this is where you go or this is what happens or this is what it is but it's um it's an interesting journey so far nick uh can i be frank <laughs> i i have to say i we're always a little bit uh you know we're just careful when we deal with like hollywood people like mm -hmm. we mostly do indie film here and indie guys they're just they made their baby. It wasn't for money yeah. and they just want to talk about it. And it's always fun. Yeah. And when we deal with like LA people, it's always like, all right, <laughs> these guys, you know, they're going to blow smoke up our ass. Yeah. And a lot of the times when, whenever, whenever we think about doing like paranormal stuff, it's always like, what, who are we going to get here? Like, because it almost feels like the industry is guarding like the secret. And it's like, Hey, nobody, like it, there's a secret handshake, almost like a group of magicians or something. Yeah, or like, Masonic yeah. people. <laughs> but here's yeah. the thing. I don't know, man. You strike me as a dude who's been in this a very long time. You don't seem jaded and you look like you're still having fun doing it. I am. I really am. I truly, I think I found that fire again, doing death Walker. Um, it's just back to the roots. Like just me and my cousin, Justin, our cameras, we have to adapt to the technology. So we had to learn the new cameras. We have to, I edit it all myself. We go over our evidence ourselves. There's no camera crews. 
There's no production. There's no post house doing our editing and all that stuff. We do everything from the ground up. It's very, it, it is indie. It's uh, all of our passion, heart, and the people surrounding to help with like the reenactments and the front load of the story. Um, so a lot of people are putting their like support and belief in it. And I think that's truly when something special comes out of it. It's like any film or any, anybody else out there trying to make a project in general, that's creative, you know, like creative content that you see today. Um, there's a lot of YouTubers vlogging, you know, every second. And it's just very fascinating how quickly you can put something up, but is it quality? Is it telling a story and is it impactful? And everything is about the story at the end of the day. Um, some films do a better job, some don't. <laughs> but no. at the end of the day, you can take from whatever. I like watching everything because I feel creatively you take from something. Because at heart, I'm an editor. You know, at heart, I love creating. It's like an art to me. It's like um, the best way I can describe it is like you have a canvas and you're a painter and you can paint like some beautiful canvas any which way you want. You know, like you could put a stroke here with a paint or use a different color. And every you, you put 10 people against that, that, um, that blank canvas and every 10 person is going to paint something different in a sense, maybe alternate it uh, a certain way. So that's what I think is great about film and music or anything in that category. And it does suck when you get into the industry. Um, and I'm very humbled and I'm very honest. And I love talking, like I've been to high schools and middle schools and film classes where they brought me in. I even, uh, being an alumni at UNLV, I went back to UNLV and I talked with the, uh, with the class there too for filmmakers. They always ask the same question. You know, I ask the kids, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I say kids because I'm like 42 now. <laughs> I'm like, shit, I don't feel like it, but I wish I was back in your seat because, man, I, I, you, you lose sight. So there was a time, and I, I'm very honest, and I'm open about all this stuff. And I tell all the kids, too, because um, everyone wants to know, how do, I, how do I become the Spielberg? How do I become whatever, whatever your greatest director is? Um, you know, how do I become that person rapidly? Everyone wants to be it, it and they want to be it right now. You know what I mean? No one wants to go through the process. Uh, I shouldn't say nobody, but like 90% of the people don't want to go through the process. They want to be handed it or they want to like just leap and be in that like spotlight immediately. And I go, forget about the spotlight and all that crap and the fame, or whatever comes with it, or even forget about the money. I said, believe in what you're making right now. Believe in the passion that you fully are committed and confident in what you're creating. And then secondly, if that hits, everything will come after that. Don't think, don't put your one foot before the next foot before it happens because everyone falls flat when they try to do that. I've had multiple projects doing that where I've, I've done that and I've been very humbled by my experiences um, and I've lost sight of it, um, you know, like on the height of my Ghost Adventures ride, I lost sight of it, like doing the 120th episode, like, I'm like, <laughs> what the hell, you know, it becomes redundant, like, what are we doing? Like, why aren't we being more creative? Why aren't we doing this? But then you get you get um, egos, you know, you got egos that stand in the way and they butt heads and you got, um, it, it's tough, man, you get like, uh, an ego or narcissistic person or somebody with like power tripping you know lost in translation and then that's when all the creativeness kind of unfolds because everyone wants to be that person or wants to like have something else and it just sucks so i think um with death walker it sparked like man after like it's very it was very hard the first five ten, ten locations were very brutal uh then like the 20th and then when I hit the 40th and now we're doing, I just shot 10 more episodes. So we're at like 50 episodes. We'll have 60 in May. 
<laughs> so when I, and we'll have a hundred very soon. And it's just like, but I found a way to do it where we don't need all that stuff. We don't need all the bells, whistles, jazz, 30 person production crew, 12 person production. Crew. Like we can do this and still maintain the passion, the rawness, and it can still be exciting. I still walk away from locations going, man, that was, I just did a location. Um, I just finished right now that like took me off guard. Like I was like, I've been doing this a long time. I said the exact same thing you just told me. I've been doing this a long time. I said it to myself and, and my wife. And I'm like, that actually shook me up. I'm like, I never felt, it felt like a claw or a hand uh, attaching itself on my spine. But not only that, my cousin, who's way more logical than I am, like IQ smart, out the roof. We talked to him about ghost particles and all this crazy stuff. <laughs> like, he was like, I was having this thing attached to my back. And he was like freaking out about it. My wife was freaking out about it. And, um, that actually was like that experience I can have a conversation about now because I've never experienced that in, in a full sense of how it kind of like struck us. So I think that still excites me, you know, having experiences, having these things truly happen uh, on and off camera when it's being documented and like showing evidence that validates them too. I think it's just, I don't know, it's a rush and I don't have a lot of people breathing down my neck anymore, you know, like... <laughs> You know, like, oh, um, you know, it used to be uh, like GA went like for cable. It'd be like, oh, we need a bump out. We need the bump out to be scary. What do you mean the bump out to be scary? Like, (laughs) you know, the commercials and stuff. You get all these like mashed up bump outs, the commercial, like, hold on, everyone. The world's going to (laughs) end. You cut the commercial, you come back. It's just me falling over a chair in in a tunnel or something. Um, But, you know, that's what it's funny. Because hearing you say that, there's, there's been a thing that I've been saying on the show forever. And of course, I've never had any way to validate it. But I think you might have been the guy behind it. Now, I'm going to ask you, you've called yourself honest a few times here. Yeah. So get ready. <laughs> Bite down on some leather. This is going to be a tough one to answer. Now, when, <laughs> oh when Paranormal Activity 4 came out, they had this new thing that I'd never seen in Ghost Adventure, in, like, in any kind of paranormal thing. And I thought, wow, what a creative approach. They took at the, t- it's now defunct, but Xbox had a new thing they called the Kinect. Oh, the Kinect which, camera. Yeah. And it had, it shot red uh, infrared beams all yeah. over the room. And then I remember seeing that on, on Ghost Adventures and yeah. being like, holy shit, film has influenced like this genre. And I remember loving it. So yeah. were, were you the one behind that? No, no, there, there was this, I wasn't. There was this guy, um, let me think back. I think it was Bill Chapel. It was a electrical engineer, if I'm getting that right. And he took that camera, I think, and adapted it to become a suit. It's pseudoscience, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's just another piece of equipment or a means to try to indicate something in the environment. Um, and we were, I was kind of like open to trying anything. You know, I'm like, oh, that works cool. Um, like REM meters and REM pods and whatever and spirit boxes and all sorts of stuff. Some stuff is just like, it's hogwash. It's, but I mean, <laughs> it, it's funny. It's all pseudoscience because there is no definitive like answers, but I have seen weird stuff happen with the equipment, you know, like a lot of stuff is just what it is, but a lot of stuff is just so bizarre that I'm like, how is that possible? How could that be functioning like that? It shouldn't be happening like that. So, um, it, the Kinect uh, camera was, it was interesting, but not until I used it on Paranormal Lockdown, um, but that was introduced to us way back in GA. But then there was a new version that came out that I used that was even better. 
it just it graphed out in in uh, 3D more of the environment and it was more pinpoint accurate with uh, indicating things. Now I did use it once that I thought was really cool on thermal lockdown. We um I set it on a table. I wasn't even walking around. I wasn't even touching it. I just let it run and it just had the whole scope of the room. And we were standing in the middle, me and another person, my camera guy, um, and we were just standing there and it mapped us out. You could see the three of us. And then we were just standing there and all of a sudden another like entity or yeah. thing popped up and you, it was mapping it out. How is it happening? I have no clue. I don't believe it was like a glitch or something where you're like tracing it and then it just continues to map it out. Because obviously a lot of that stuff can happen. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's just weird. But um, yeah, I, I didn't see I didn't see uh, Paranormal Acti- Activity 4, was it in? Yeah, I didn't still see worst one. You could skip it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought so, yeah. yeah. I liked the first one. first one was cool. But yeah. I, I didn't really see that one or know of it. Um, is that the one? No, that was three, right? Where they had the satanic stuff happening. Is that three? Yeah. Yep. Okay, so three I saw three. Was, three was a period piece, and, and I would four. actually, three was, um, they had some really cool camera techniques, like, so it was supposed to be in the 80s, yeah. and a guy had hooked up, like, he was trying to basically mimic surveillance camera, and he attached the camera to a fan that was on a pivot, Yeah. and dude, for, for like, narrative, like, storytelling, it worked fantastically, because it gave the audience a rhythm that the camera was pivoting on. So when it would show the kitchen and then go away and come back, it was almost like, you know, in every horror movie, they open the fridge door. Yeah. And then, you know, when they close it, it's like everybody's kind of like holding their breath. Dude, it worked really well. And I see, I thought it was you because I'm like, dude, that was such a smart move to take what was kind of like a throwaway moment. Right. And because what you're basically doing is making a vector of a room. Yeah. And it's like, if yeah. any of these lasers move, something's in here. And, even if, and like, I always imagine it's like a heist movie, <laughs> kind of, <laughs> yeah. but instead of, yeah, I guess there would be an allowance arm sounded, but it would be like yeah. an internal it's one. like Catherine Zeta Jones. in <laughs> track. Yeah. I don't know. You know, um, I don't know how, if ghost adventures is like a thing that you remember fondly or if it like haunts you now, I imagine it's going to be impossible Ooh, like for a you, ghost for you yeah. to escape. No, I embrace it. I embrace it. I mean, um, there's nothing to shy away from. I think, you know, I left at a a good point, I think, at a good point where it's reached its peak in a sense. Um, Dude, I don't know. You know, they did a they did a tour of uh, Joe Exotic's lot. And I I missed that one. I wasn't on that one. I'll tell you you right now. uh, I so I you know, I love the show. Because yeah. I think it's it's a lot of circus. I also love reality TV. Well, now it is, yeah. Now it's yeah. ridiculous. But <laughs> Just see, be honest. <laughs> here's the thing. Like I, you know, if I was gonna make an argument, um, there's a movie again. We deal with found footage. I've never no, watched. I, it. I love I love movie throws. So well, I'm here's the about... thing. Have you ever seen The Bay? Uh wait. I think so. who's in that one? I think I have. Uh, that's directed by uh, Barry Levinson. Yeah, Barry Levinson. So okay. it's about uh, chaos breaks out in small Maryland town after an ecological disaster occurs. Now, the, the reason I bring up this movie, which is found footage, is that, you know, the um, director of uh, Renown did it because he was approached at making a documentary about a real ecological problem yeah. that was happening. But he said, dude, I can make this movie and nobody's going to give a fuck. But if I make it like found footage horror, even if people, you know, approach the subject as fake, found footage kind of beckons the question of, 
well, maybe it's kind of real. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's effective that way. And for as much a, as a, you know, a three ring circus as ghost adventures can be, <laughs> I think it is kind of like an entry drug. Like it's a gateway, like it, like part of that will capture your imagination and you'll be like, I don't know, maybe I'll try it. And then yeah. you'll find out how scary it is to, you know, hang out yeah. in an abandoned building. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It used to be three people. Now it's like four or five. I don't know how many people. <laughs> I, I, I have nothing to do with it anymore, but it's, it's been a long time. Um, I just, I still love the rawness of the season one, even two. Oh yeah. Two, three, four, all the way. Like the first four seasons were, it was just really fun. Like, like, look, who, who's giving, who's allowing three young dudes to run around like Winchester mystery house or Alcatraz or like, I remember being in Winchester mystery house. I think it was like 2009 or whatever. Uh, I was born in San Jose, but I moved to New Hampshire when I was one. Um, But my family's California and I've been in Winchester house a ton of times, but you're always on a tour. Yeah. They just allowed us three to go in there by ourselves. And you know, the first thing I did when we got in there, the door shut, the manager locked us in. We were there for the night. Right. You know what I did? I turned Mm. to the two guys. I go, all right, we're not going to investigate anything. We're playing hide and go seek. Oh, hell yeah. First hour. And, and I tagged them and I say, go. And I just ran off. Oh, <laughs> so we, we played for like an hour. I was like up in the seance room hiding. I was hoping like my buddy would fall through the trap door in the floor or something crazy. Or tripping on those tiny yeah. staircases. Yeah, it's horrible. Man. See, it's clear to me now why Nick is the one here fucking with us. Like, <laughs> again, uh, that energy really translated in the show too. Yeah. And, you know, when we talked to Jim Martin, on our second episode, when, when he framed his experience. So, you know, he had a different journey. He was an empty nester who went to a paranormal convention. Mm -hmm. He said that he used to go there and it was kind of stuffy and it's a lot of pseudoscience, like you said. And then one day something changed and a Lamborghini showed up and it was a Zach Baggins. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And uh, he said (laughs) from then on, everything was different. He said the tone of people there, like people started wearing leather jackets and trying to be more. Yeah, it's yeah. funny because it kind of parallels just social media in general and the early currency of attention over like monetary yeah. value. Yeah. And I, I don't know, man, I, um, I think it's a blessing and a curse for you, but <laughs> I'll tell you, yeah. I had a blast covering that Joe exotic episode. I just kept oh, playing man. clips from it. Everybody fucking hated it. Yep. <laughs> he had a blast for the record. Yeah. I, I haven't seen it. I actually haven't even seen the, the full. I've seen Joe Exotic, the, the series, but I've never seen that episode. I stopped watching her. Well, spoiler a- alert. They found a dildo in a filing cabinet. <laughs> is, that, is that a real thing? That's a real thing. Dude. Oh, my God. Well, <laughs> there, there you go. What are we doing? You know? I, think, I think there has to be. there has to be some sort of balance, and that's what it used to be. It's like... <laughs> It's either you're fully on that side and it's just a, a, a gimmick or it's funny and you're running around just kind of like your, um, who was it, Jim, that was on your second episode? Jim Martin, like, yeah. yeah. Who yeah, knows so, if he's even still doing it? <laughs> but, but that's the thing. There has to be a balance, right? There's like a serious to it. Like what is, what are we dealing with? And then there's, there's, there's the documentary feel of documenting the moment and putting the narrative to the story. And then there's like, you can't, you can't take everything seriously. I think you have to laugh and have fun at the same time. You know, yeah. yeah. I just put up a clip on social media. My cousin and I filming in a location. It was a Masonic temple. Um, yeah, it was a Masonic temple, and we're in the location. We drove 14 hours to get there, and we were exhausted. We're we're walking around in the dark, and we're he's literally running into walls. 
we're running into tables and I'm like, I'm yelling at him, like, stop running into stuff. Like he can't fill me straight. And as I'm saying that, I turn around and run into a table, you know, just like there's moments like that. You got to uh, humanize like the elements, but at the same time, it is crazy how paranormal has taken an influx into uh, being oversaturated now uh, everywhere. You know, it's a big thing and it's not slowing down. That's the crazy part. Mm-hmm. Everything has taken off. So um, there's so much paranormal content out there now. And now you have the YouTubers that are just blowing. Oh, up. yeah. And you have like just all the stuff that um, you can watch on any pretty much network has some sort of paranormal uh, show. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it was amazing. It was amazing uh, time uh, turning that. But I feel like, you know, each stepping stone of my career is like I'm trying to do what's next or what can I what can I do that's outside the box or um and I felt like Death Walker was a cool thing. It's it's fun, man. It's um it's land on some pretty big networks now that I'm excited about with Film Rise. Uh you can watch it free on there, you can walk, watch on the Roku channel and you can watch it also on we just I just saw they just launched it on Tubi. So oh, free rad. in America. And yeah. then um yeah, it's it's awesome, man. It's taken off. And uh, yeah, let's let's end on a positive note. Enough uh, again. Nick and I were having a great conversation. <laughs> so you came in with your bullshit and your baggins oh, and all it. this, and so it. and so we're going to end with a positive note. Talking about Death Walker. Now I want to talk about the episode, and we'll cue this up for our listeners so that they go and see this. Now, also, I'll say that having this on YouTube, it Nick, it's perfect. Perfect. This is a perfect medium because we in, in this household we could not be bigger supporters of YouTube. Yep. And uh, YouTube Premium, this is a perfect marriage, and I'm having a great time uh, catching up on all these. And so, the the here's what I'll say, as sort of my tease for our listeners watching the show, is that you go to a a haunted Masonic lodge in Kentucky. Now, if there's anybody who deserves a haunting, it's got to be the Freemasons, right? Like, you know, enough enough of that. Like, if you're if you're gonna shroud your entire existence in secrets, there's got to be some penance. Uh, it, it was a weird location, uh, very historical. But the um the head guy there was telling me all sorts of stories that they experienced there, and it's just it's fascinating meeting each person of all walks of life, backgrounds, or ideas. And I just love hearing the stories, but not only that experience. And I remember I was just setting up the camera and all of a sudden we heard this like um, person talking in the background where it kind of blew us away and come to find out it was, um, it was a, a, a little, it was a girl, I guess. Um, and she died in the cemetery right next to the Masonic temple. And they've been experiencing her uh, walking in and out of the building and stuff like that. That's connected to a Freemason from 1800s, I think. That was her daughter. And they used to live there. Oh. So it's just, it's really interesting. Um, the stories and the layers and just history. You know, everything starts with a story somewhere. And I find that the best part about it is you're just learning about the stories and learning about history. Because I hated history when I was in school, but I'm really loving it now. Because <laughs> it's well, entangled in the ghost stuff. Well, I'm I'm a, I'm originally from Mississippi, Nick, and where ghosts actually play a big part I, in our history because it it very it links very very tightly with tourism, uh, because it we we basically it's either you know two things have attributed to the ghost fascination within the state of Mississippi: the Civil War <laughs> and boredom. I, Those two things. Um, because like in Natchez, have you, have you ever done any, um, yeah. exploring in Mississippi? Where? Yeah. Myrtle's plantation. 
Uh, yes, of course. <laughs> beautiful. Uh, we slept there, and I know the really? really well. They're awesome, really great people. And honestly, if you ever get the chance to go there, go eat dinner there. Um, it's been a long time. I was a, I was a small child when I went out there. Yeah, oh, but you, so we big. used to go to Natchez a lot. Yeah. Um, there was another location uh, that I did out there, uh, and then Baton Rouge. We were up in Baton Rouge, New Orleans. I was down yep. uh, even in there, talking about Bloody Mary and doing voodoo stuff. And there's so many hauntings and locations. And, um, you know, it's just rife and supernatural paranormal, and it's just a different way of thinking. But I love it. I love it down there. Yeah. <laughs> It's 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 a whole it's the whole thing with like southern ghost stories. Mm-hmm. It's it's something that the culture has just uh you know grasped onto at least my whole life where it's just uh I don't know it's a, it's a whole thing. It's like its own separate I mean you you go across the entire country, right? But there is something different about southern ghost locations, right? Wouldn't you say that and just sort of the culture around it? Yeah, no, I love the culture. Um yeah, it's it's a different different way of thinking. I think it's just more spiritualism. It's um yeah. but then it's strange because like each town holds kind of like that um I don't know, that uh that Christian belt like <laughs> you know, so it's very it's kind of taboo, I guess is the yeah. word I'm looking for, where it's like we don't talk about that here, but it's happening, you know? Yeah. So it's just really interesting. Then you get into like the cryptid type of stuff, you know, monsters and stuff like that, which I find really cool. Um so I just feel like it's been embedded into that kind of lifestyle forever, you know, as long as that's been existence. So it's just a really cool area with the swamps and, and the spiritualism and you get into the voodoo type of stuff, which gets really deep embedded into that culture. But um, I, I like learning about it. And I like being a part of it and experiencing it just because it's something different than what I'm used to. And I like being outside my comfort zone in that state. So it's... um. It's cool. I love it. I think that's a new show idea for you. All right. Uh, you know, <laughs> tracking down all these Civil War ghosts. Yeah. It's a I've, good. I've been to a lot. I just, oh, you know what? It is. I think it is in Mississippi. Um, I just did the Civil War house, the Kendrick house. Have you ever heard of the Kendrick house? Uh, not by name. So it's really cool. They have one of the only last um, uh, tables. The table from the Civil War where they bring uh, the Union and Confederate soldiers and they would amputate them on the oh, table. It's a oh wooden boy. table. All the blood is still soaked in. So we had a UV light and we're taking <laughs> the UV light to see all the blood splatter and stuff all over it. It's really creepy. So I slept I slept on top of that table. That <laughs> you know, I love that. With a bed sheet? I love it. Uh, it was a sleeping bag. It was kind of rough. All right, I'll take it. <laughs> I love that though. That, you yeah. know, as, as a Ooh. horror fan you know, there's always like an antagonistic relationship with <laughs> yeah. characters because you're always like, why do this? And one of the things that I've come to realize is that you get a lot, you're a lot braver behind a camera. Yeah. Like, I'm, yeah. like, I'm sure whenever you're filming yourself in a room alone, you're not behind a camera. You have the camera on you, which would heighten the fear factor. Um, but, you know, it's almost like war photography. Like the dudes are out there because they're removed from it. Yeah. And it's just, you know, the heightened, like, we're going to stay in this room, which is bad enough, but I'm asleep on the table. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, in most movies, it's always, we're going to sleep in the body drawers. What yeah. are those called? I know you grew up in a morgue. The lockers. Yeah. 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 The lockers. How many of yeah. those have you slept in? Um, two or three. I've, <laughs> I've, I've slept in, I actually slept recently. You can watch an episode on Death Walker, uh, Greenville Manor. I slept inside a coffin, which was really weird. Um, it's, not, it's not that comfortable either, by the way. 
um, often <laughs> a, mor- a morgue slab, uh, a tub on top I of a it. haunted bar, <laughs> tables, haunted tables, Civil War tables. Um, I slept on the bar. Uh, I didn't mean to, but I slept on the cement slab of a um, uh, lobotomy, where they would do lobotomies in uh, an asylum because <laughs> my uh, my the bed that would unfold with the sleeping bag, it wouldn't fold, so I just threw it aside and I slept on the ground. You know, I... I'm probably one of those people that have slept in the worst conditions. Forget the ghosts and paranormal. It just sucks. Like the environments are horrible. Um, <laughs> like, what's all right, all right, here's this. Here's a good question. What's the worst location that you have slept in yet had the best night of sleep? <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one. <laughs> oh my gosh. But actually could sleep? Yeah. Um, what like, you know, be? you're in like the, the bottom of the Queen Mary or something. But you're like, like I got a solid five hours. <laughs> no, Queen Mary, Queen Mary was kind of gross back then because they, they didn't, um, they didn't renovate it. So it wasn't that pleasant. Um, no, it was a jail. I think one of the jails that I slept in, um, I was sleeping in the jail. I actually fell asleep, but it was so bitter cold in oh. the jail that I actually thought I died. I'm not joking. I, I woke up hallucinating thinking i was dead and I, started, sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I was so hibernated because i was like just sleeping bag in the inside the jail but it was so cold outside it had to be zero below or whatever and there was obviously no electricity inside the place so i'm just bundled up but just my face is showing and my face was almost frozen and wow. i wake up cold like you know how you breathe like the air outside and you're just so cold it's freezing and that's how i woke up like I see dead people. <laughs> I, just, I woke up and I thought I was dead. I was like, God, is that you? And I was looking around and I thought someone was calling my name. And uh, I just, you can see it in the raw footage. And I'm just like calling out thinking I was dead. It was weird. A weird experience. That was good a good reason. sleep. Horrible conditions. <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, Nick, again, uh, thank you so much for joining us, man. Uh, again, so uh, happy that, that the show's out there uh, on all these different platforms. I think it's great. Uh, a lot of eyes are going to be able to get on that. And uh, this was a hell of a chat, man. Thanks so much. No, I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. And wh- I, I had one question for you guys. What's your favorite horror movie? I'm just curious. because I love Oh, boy. It. Go ahead. Yeah, I want to hear that. <laughs> we should make Randy go first. Oh, yeah. Randy, <laughs> Randy, jump in here and answer this question. Probably not a uh, popular one, but Final Destination 1. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Now, that, now, Randy, again, we make fun of him for being like the highbrow component. Like every week, dude, we're trying to do a horror show. He'll bring some fucking international, like avant-garde film. Blockbuster? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, dude, but yet his favorite horror movie is Final Destination. But it, it was cool, though. I do admit it was cool when it first came out. I was like, I don't know if I want to go on an airplane anytime soon. <laughs> like, no. You know what I mean? It, it does have great, I don't know, it was just really cool. Even the deaths were awesome. I think that's what I was looking at. The deaths were really cool. And the story was fun, you know? But mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he's, he's a dork. I think he just likes the Rube Goldberg like way to murder people. <laughs> it's true. He's no. plotting over there. You're like, uh, what was it, Billy Madison? Where you're crossing out the people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Clark, hopefully I'm off that list now. Nice. I'm going to stall for you a little bit. Um, oh, uh, Saw 4. So, really? Why not? Saw 4? The fourth one? The fourth one. Not, not yeah. even the first one. <laughs> no, because the, four, the fourth one, they show Jigsaw's penis. So, oh, I mean, okay. that's, a, that's, a special, that's a special little treat for everybody. That's, that's hilarious. Okay. I forgot. Um, <laughs> You know, it's a hard question to answer because 
Oh man, I love so many, but I'll go with um, They Live. And really, really to like tie it back into what we're talking about, where I feel like right now I fucking hate a movie that takes social commentary first. Yet I feel like if it's kind of like a a bonus at the end of the film, because you show up to that movie for Piper or for like the beautiful cinematography and directing of John John Carpenter. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's a movie where you could kind of apply it to every moment political stuff that's happening yeah. in the world i mean come on yeah that like, movie lives up today not dude, back then <laughs> exactly it's evergreen so i'll yeah. that's an, the, on my letterbox it's one of my top four so that i knew you were up. gonna go carpenter so i had no, to go you didn't I, of course you were gonna go carpenter all right now before we let you go nick i just have to ask is malevolent av- malevolence available anywhere no it's it's never been released no there was another movie that came out after the fact called malevolence that was a horror movie I, uh, but that that's not mine yeah i have malevolence one and two i yeah. definitely do but yeah. yeah that's why i looked it up i'm like no way you didn't direct that one well, no, so but it, it's funny because it came out right after um like a year after mine came out or something like that so but yeah I, i've never released it um it's what it's still hell? on video. <laughs> it's Nick. a crazy film. I don't think it would hold up today. <laughs> it's a little. It's a very controversial film, <laughs> dude. That's why I'm looking at. It. I'm like, this shit looks perfect. Yeah, this is this um, is what we want to talk. Also, dude, it's your first film, and it's two hours ten minutes long. Yeah, I know. I know. It's uh, there was seventy talking talent. A car oh. blows up, and it has six stories that intertwine into one, <laughs> and all the all all the people die except one person who is the villain and the villain walks. Sorry to ruin it for you, but it's really not a big ruin. Dude, it's just funny. (laughs) We got to watch this movie, man. (laughs) And and there's the whole intertwining story throughout the, throughout the whole story. You're like, what's in the bag instead of what's in the box. It's what's in the, in this bag that gets shuffled around from characters to characters in each plot story. And at the end, you kind of find out what's in the bag. I don't want to ruin it, but it's, uh, it's interesting, but, it's kind of, it's funny. It's just a, it was a weird time. Um, it was very controversial. <laughs> it wouldn't hold up today. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I love films. I'm always looking for the next big film. But um, I think mine is The Exorcist. That held on to me for a Hell long yeah. time. And I couldn't figure out why. But there's something weird about some sort of entity or presence. And it's not because I'm into the paranormal or anything. It's really truly because that film is so well done like from the writing to the directing i love the director Mm -hmm. and just like man you can't remake that film today like it's just it is what it is and um the exorcist kind of gets under my skin for that whole possession reason like is it possible that that could really happen you know like that kind of creeps me out a little bit no dude william friedkin i uh i feel like he should be on the pedestal that everybody puts stanley kubrick i agree because Kubrick, you know, everybody always talks about like he's so methodical and he touched yeah. every part of the movie and every frame. And it's like yeah. William Freakin is actually that dude. Yep. And yep. everything. There's so many. He's like he takes um the stories are almost like Hitchcockian where every little thing is kind of feeding back into itself. And I don't know. I would call Sorcerer a horror movie. Dude. Yeah. No Sorcerer. question. Have you guys watched um, Bug? That he's oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Man, Michael Shannon, like. I don't want to ruin it, but I mean, that movie, it's so claustrophobic, one location in a sense, and it just, I don't know, there's something genius about it. And I didn't know that it was actually a Broadway play at the time. And he yeah, Tracy Letts. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's crazy. I want to see the play now. <laughs> it's just, 
it was such a well done movie but that's what i love him for he's just such a good director and if you watch analytically if you look at the exorcist you look at bug or whatever else he's done i know he did that documentary on uh, was it the possession or whatever which was yeah yeah well but, that's interesting you, so you don't think that one was real uh, I well, no. I think what he did was really from his perspective of trying to. Um, you mean the documentary, right? Yeah, yeah. I think he was trying to go out there because he's so Catholic driven. You know what I mean? And I think he yeah. was presenting his narrative of what his belief is in, in going to the Vatican because truly, how like possession is done, as I studied it, it's like it has to go through the Vatican. There's this process, but yeah. every culture has some sort of religious background on possessions. If you look at it, really interesting. Um, do I believe uh, the documentary was, I haven't seen it in a long time, so I, I kind of forget. Um, I just don't think it was at his best work. You know, I don't no. think it was his best work here, at all. Agree. I think it was here, documenting. Let me, let me refresh it for you. So out here at the Roxy, we love them. Um, they did a double feature and they showed The Exorcist and then The Devil and Father of Mort. That's and what it's called, yeah. And I remember thinking, weird. Like why lead with like a blockbuster fiction film and then roll into something that's being kind of presented as very it was um, flip flop. Oh, it was flip flop. So the devil and more, and then the exorcist. Correct. Oh, okay, they should have done it the opposite around. Oh, well, I don't. Either way, it's weird. Like why pair it with that? I feel like if you if you watch the devil uh, and father of more and kind of you close with the 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 classic feature. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, you don't open up a no, shit no, documentary no. No, with a thing. classic feature. No, here's yeah, the yeah, that's a t that's true. Yeah. Well, well, if you were in there, if you're like Nick and you're very thoughtful mm -hmm. and you're like you're picking this thing apart and you're you're just digesting it, and then you roll into The Exorcist, I feel like it's gonna bulldoze any like thought conversation you were having. The Exorcist does yeah. not open <laughs> for a documentary. Well, the, Exor <laughs> the, the Exorcist is so damn good that yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. You can't open with a doc that's thought provoking from your perspective. I mean, documentaries are a narrative from your perception, right? The director, whoever's directing the documentary, that's their narrative. Yeah. Some, some are unbiased where they try to make it where it's whatever. Everyone wants to try to play both sides depending on how the person is. But I, he, he's so biased. He's driven on Vatican, Catholic religion, yep. possession. I mean, if, if I was di dissecting and if I was doing a narrative on possessions, I would go into every single culture, every single background, every single psychologist. You know, I would like really analytically put together a powerful documentary based on that. But I mean, that's me. Everyone's different. I think that's the great thing about film is that's what he did. And I just feel like what was it some of his footage that he found? Was he claiming like never seen before footage, right? Like, yeah, like you know what it is. So the the crux of the movie was they're allowing me to film this, which I've yeah, never right. done, which right. is great. You know, as a found footage fan, I want to go places that I wouldn't have access to. So I was in on that. The problem here, and again, it kind of makes me cringe even recalling it, is the very end of the movie. There's a bunch of shit that happened off camera that he recounts in a VO. Where it's like, oh, I was in a taxi and this girl was possessed. And then we ran into the building. She caught on fire. And it's like, what the fuck? What? Yeah. That, see, yeah. I don't believe that. No. I, 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 well, that's where it loses me. I mean, you're calling it. It's hard because there's been so much of it since Blair Witch and whatever. It's hard to say what's real anymore. I mean, you got the internet. Jesus, turn it on. I don't even know what a UFO is anymore. Uh, yeah. It's, but I've experienced it. You know, it's, it's just difficult. Um you know, things are so crazy now. And, but I believe that it is possible and it has happened. But I also believe that 
the Vatican ain't gonna like show you the real stuff, even though they're giving you access. They're giving you access to talk up the Vatican in their yeah. religion, but they're not giving you access to their secret documents. I highly doubt they would give you anybody any access to that, you know. So to have like unique access, I think it's just a gimmick to throw away. But I think he really truly wanted to tell the story as far as he could go with whatever he could get because he believed in that. But the reason why I love the exorcist, because I've seen the documentary based on the exorcist from the actual real priest who spoke out about it, about the real people on the set, about the real case. And I've actually, I've actually went as far as investigating the real location. And it was based on a boy, not a girl. It wasn't Linda Blair, you know, the little girl. It was actually based on a real boy who supposedly was possessed. And the reason I know this is because we reached out to him and I went to the actual house where um, the boy, based on the movie, stayed at when he was possessed and he was taken to the hospital. It was in St. Louis. And so I, I've been to that place. I've been to uh, the hospitals torn down now in St. Louis, but they still have the cross. I talked to people that actually um, was a nurse or something on staff um that heard screaming in latin coming from the hospital room like crazy shit like that where people saw him levitating and people freaking out and they had the door like here's the cool thing about that story that you know it's real because that boy will not talk about it we tried to interview him and everything he he won't talk about it. he doesn't care about money he doesn't care about anything he doesn't want anything to do with it so like that to me says genuine you know it says it really happened and whatever he went through was crazy and it doesn't happen like that. You're not just like possessed. <laughs> it, yeah. It's it realistically it takes months. There's like, you know, a course of transition. It's weak minded people. It's like um um oppression and then depression and then so on and then flaying into like possession. You know, it's kinda like how the movie was based in a sense, even though they rapidly kind of sped it up when Linda Blair pees on the ground and everything goes crazy. <laughs> yeah. so, but it's an awesome film. I mean Man, he directed it so well, and the acting and the script and everything is so good. It's something raw about it that's creepy. I don't even think you could probably get away with it today, like ripping each <laughs> other back with like cords and stuff and hurting. Oh yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I love that film. It's weird, creepy. Um, but I like psychological thrillers too. Like uh, Hot Detention was awesome, Schizophrenia, and like you know stuff that is real. Uh, one of my favorites was Session Nine. I oh yeah, Session Nine. Right. Stuff like that. I think as I get older, I'm more intrigued by that. Could it really happen? You know, does it happen? <laughs> Stuff like Damn, that. Damn, Nick, I'm kind of shocked that you uh, are so into film. Dude, oh, yeah. um, well, let me just say it now. You have an open invitation. Anytime you want to come back on, promote something. Let's get back on here and talk about some horror films. Oh, I would, uh, That's all I talk about. <laughs> I love talking about horror films. It's been a while because I have a new baby, so I... Congrats. I, I used to watch a movie every single day. Every single day I would watch one or two movies uh, every day. And it slowed down a little bit because of filming and everything. But uh, I mean, I could talk movies all day long. I love it. Um, yeah. Hey, well, I mean it. Um, come back. And for, for everybody listening, uh, Film Rise True Crime, check it out on YouTube. Again, I think you're ahead of it using YouTube and these platforms to put your show up because... The the one really cool thing about it is that you can build a community and you know, you know, the hallmark of a good show on YouTube is when the comments are really like on because yeah. Yeah. most of them turn it off and they're just like, no, we can't have people trashing it. So they're, they're on and people love it. Yeah. So dude, there's no higher praise than that. Thank um, you. No, I appreciate it. Yeah. Dude, Nick, you rule, man. 
So awesome. yeah, we got to have you back on and we'll talk about Ed and Lorraine Warren next time. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I, I actually had Lorraine. I spoke to her once on, uh, I'll tell you that story later, but yeah. Yeah. What a tease. <laughs> I just, I, my, my wife and I just met the Annabelle doll uh, recently too. That oh, wow. Creepy. It's Hell creepy. Yeah. The Raggedy Ann? Yeah. Who would think that a Raggedy Ann doll is creepy, but you look it in the eyes and you're like, whoo, you, you like look and you look away because you're like, nope. can, can, can this harm me or can it not? <laughs> Dude, those dolls are scary. I'm, I'm yeah. not looking at that. Though. I had a couple no. growing up. Um, also, Nick, uh, our film fest is actually taking place at the end of March. Okay. If you're in the Bay Area, dude, I, I know you're born out in San Jose. Uh, dude, come by. We're going to be out here for a full weekend. It's like March 23rd through the 26th. Yes. Also, one of the theaters we do it in is supposed to be haunted. That is true. You know, I, I almost brought it up, but, you know, you made that passing joke about, have you ever stayed in an Airbnb? And, yeah. Dude, these the ghost hunting shows create markets like sure. like in nevada so we i i'm gonna let you go i promise but we no. used to have a third chair on here and he for one of his birthdays came up to me and was like hey dude let's go to nevada we're gonna stay in this haunted building yeah. and it's the one i'm sure you know because i'm you turn nevada into an industry of haunted places and uh he went he's one of the most boring skeptics ever but he came out of there with his own picture that he caught a shadow person and it, you know <laughs> So he puts, I don't know, Nick, dude, uh, you're fucking cool. You need to come. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. We'll talk about, um, trilogy of terror next time. When I grew up with that movie, that movie scared the show of me. Hell <laughs> with yeah, the, with that little guy coming around. No, no, no. He's cutting <laughs> Achilles off of people. That's how I, I was oh, terrified. Cause it. my aunt introduced me to, uh, trilogy of terror when I was a kid. And she said, if you get up at night, she had this doll that looked like it. <laughs> and she goes, if you get up off the couch at night, I was at my grandparents' house because I was hyper. And you hear the little bell jingling. That just, that's him walking around. And I still have a picture of this, um, of her doll because I bit the nose off of it, scared. <laughs> but that, that was the movie I watched when I was a kid. They traumatized me. So maybe that's why I love horror films. It's like the evil elf on a shelf. Yeah, yeah. it totally is. <laughs> it is. I'll show you a picture next time. It's creepy. Hey, Nick, do you have a preferred social media that people follow you at? Uh, just uh, Nick Roth, Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, and, okay. uh, and my YouTube channel. I just started uploading YouTube videos. So it's just Nick Roth underscore, I think, on Instagram and, and YouTube. And you, can, you can Google me, but it's the only ones with the blue check mark next to it. There's cool. always fake accounts up there. Good. I'm glad, I'm glad you're doing your own YouTube thing because you seem ripe for like a vlogger channel. I just started doing it. Yeah, my wife and I are going out with uh, other YouTubers, and we started going around the haunted Perfect. locations, and that's what we're doing. Dude, well, you got fans here. Thank you, man. Oh, Thank you. Right on. Hey, and I mean it. If you want to come hang out and talk about film, let's do it. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right. Love you, Nick. Thanks for hanging out. All right. Take care, Thanks, guys. Man. You Thanks too. Bye. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. And as always, you can find us on YouTube at The Overlook Theater, Instagram at The Overlook Theater, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. 
And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Stat. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oksana again next time. Bye.